0: I first laid eyes on Roger Corman in the summer of 1973 when he interviewed me for a job as his assistant. Our chat took place on Los Angeles' famed Sunset Strip, in the rather shabby penthouse that served as the headquarters for Corman's company, New World Pictures. The 47-year-old filmmaker had gotten my name through the Phi Beta Kappa chapter of UCLA, where I was finishing up a doctorate in English. It was typical of Roger to seek out someone with lofty academic credentials. He loved to shore up his credibility by hiring underlings with fancy degrees and titles. On that first morning, I was impressed, as everyone always was, by Corman's handsome face, deep voice, and good-humored manner. We had a serious talk about motion picture aesthetics, and he told me that one condition of my employment would be a promise to read and discuss with him Siegfried Krakauer's Theory of Film from 1960. Of course I complied, wondering how this ponderous tome would shed light on the making of Corman's cinematic staples, monster movies, and biker flicks. I'm still wondering. He never mentioned Krakauer again. After 16 lively months as Corman's all-purpose assistant, I left New World in 1975 to return to academia. Several jobs and two babies later, I was persuaded by Roger to become the story editor at Concord New Horizons, the new company he had founded in 1983. Signing on in 1986, I once again plunged headfirst into the madcap world of low-budget filmmaking. My duties included overseeing writers, consulting with young directors, and earning the occasional script credit on horror films and thrillers, including Immortal Sins and Beyond the Call of Duty, that needed emergency fixes. Life was not dull. I never knew what challenge the next business day would bring. One April afternoon in 1994, Corman called me into his office. There, dwarfed by huge paintings that had been done on the cheap by a grad student imitating Ellsworth Kelly, we had what turned out to be another pivotal conversation. Roger told me his fears for his company's financial health. This was nothing new. He had these concerns every week or two. Then he brought up the plight of a close friend of mine. She had been an early Corman employee, beginning in the 1960s when he was just starting out and she had taught me a great deal when I first came on board at New World. Later, she'd moved into more lucrative positions with more prestigious film companies, but she'd hit on hard times and was now desperate for work. It was a nice gesture on Corman's part to make a place for her on his staff. It was not so nice, however, to give her my job. The upshot was that after eight years of loyal service, I was rewarded with two weeks' notice. All the while, Roger insisted that I had been an exemplary employee. He told me to write myself a glowing recommendation. Don't be modest, he said, and promised to sign it. I later discovered that in typically shrewd Corman fashion, he'd hired my old friend on a cut-rate basis, which meant that while lending a hand to someone in need, he was actually saving the difference between her salary and my own. So his altruism, although undoubtedly genuine, was also to his material benefit. But such is Roger Corman. Truly, the buck stops with him, in more ways than one. Now that many years have passed and my career has taken me in unexpected new directions, I can step back and mull over my relationship with Roger Corman. At times, he treated me graciously. At other times, coldly. Some days, he was solicitous of my needs. On other days, he issued outrageous demands. He could make me feel like a valued part of his organization or like a minor functionary to be casually swept aside. In other words, I'm no different from the hundreds of other employees who have worked for Roger over the years. Most of us will admit to both gratitude and frustration we recognize that we've been given the unparalleled opportunity to learn from an expert the fascinating business of making movies.